from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly pro-free edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Lake, the attorney Mason. we got a lot of college basketball to discuss. The Super Bowl is looming. Willie Anderson, we're doing this on a Thursday morning. He may be in the Hall of Fame by Thursday night when the announcement comes. If not, he'll probably inch closer to enshrinement that would come next year. We'll touch on that. And, of course, my favorite part of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic, just hit up the Twitterverse or the Xverse with the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, we got a lot to get to, so let's do it. Yeah, we've got plenty. We'll start off with college basketball like we have been the last few weeks and going to do a little bit differently this time. We're going to roll through these games early on here and then I have some questions for you, Skinny. We'll start with Cincinnati because I thought they had the biggest win of the week. They beat Texas Tech 75-72 over the weekend. They will host number five Houston on Saturday at four. Uh, Skinny, I just thought for, for this UC team that has been in so many close games here to start their, their Big 12 play, for them to pull off this one on the road in, in a moment where like they had to make big plays on offense, they had to stop a legit end-of-game killer and pop Isaacs for Texas Tech, there were a lot of things to really love about this win if you're a UC fan. Yeah, and we talked about the, the, the close losses, I think, would start to really weigh on you from a cumulative standpoint. And now you've got the confidence of getting one and getting one on the road at that getting a quad one win, which kind of offsets that quad three loss they had to West Virginia. They're still going to have to get a couple more. And obviously, as we know, there's a ton of opportunities. One of those comes at home on, on Saturday against Houston. So, yeah, I just think from a confidence standpoint, that that was huge because we've, we've talked about this. They hung in so many of these games. And, you know, the, the, the good part is, yeah, you're certainly competitive. The bad part is, well, you're not winning them. And that's still the only thing that the NCAA committee is never going to go, well, you guys played a bunch of close games. Good for you. We're going to welcome you. No, you need to win some of those. And boy, did they get a big one on Saturday night. It's crazy. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but uh, you talk about this tough stretch that that they've had to get in the big win on the road at Texas Tech, a ranked team. And then you've got up oh, number one in Ken Palm and the net Houston coming to your gym on Saturday. And then right after that, you've got Iowa State, who's number nine in the net. Uh, it's just, you know, three straight quad one games or actually four straight quad one games. Right. If you include Texas Tech right away, uh, this conference just never goes away. It's It's relentless. No, but again, those are your opportunities, and that's the one thing that, that you were looking for. And especially we talked about, you know, what they didn't do in the non-conference. They needed to do something. didn't have to be entirely special inside the conference, but you had to get a chunk of those, and they got a big one. They still got some more to get, but that was a, that was a good one. Yeah. Xavier beat DePaul 93-68 on Saturday, bouncing back from, from that embarrassing loss against UConn. And then they got a big one on Wednesday night. They beat Villanova 56-53 at the Cinta Center. They'll host number 19 Creighton on Saturday at 1230. Um, Skinny, I don't know about you, but I thought the, the Villanova game, one, it was one that Xavier really had to have at this point of the season. And two, um, some big plays from some some guys that, like, like Dylan Swain, I think, the freshman, him stepping up down the stretch at the forward spot when they really had no other answer. Gita Namisha was playing terribly. Sean absolutely ripped him in the postgame press conference. They're not getting anything out of Lazar Djokovic for the most part. I thought it was big to see the freshman Dalen Swain step up and give them something at that forward position down the stretch. Yeah, we've talked about him uh, a couple of times. I know obviously Sunday, the, the UConn game didn't go so well for him. Got a couple early fouls, got a couple early blow buys. And, and you know, again, maybe that's just 
maybe during the headlights, right? First big, 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 big game on the road, and he played like a freshman in that game. But he's also had his moments, the Georgetown game with the game-winning dunk and a handful of drives in that game. And we were looking to see for this team who who else besides the guards could could do something because you're going to have to have somebody else do something. You're not getting Quincy Oliveri tossing in 43 every night, and they did something. But before you respond to that, can you please explain to me what the hell Villanova was doing at the end of the game? Well, it's unbelievable. Was, it? was that said called dribble around the – did they think they had a three-point lead? Yeah, so to, if, if you didn't watch the end of the game situation, basically what happened was Xavier was up by one. Quincy Oliveri gets fouled on a set play. He makes both free throws. So now Xavier's up by three with 18 seconds left. Xavier calls a timeout. So both teams get to – you know, Xavier gets to set their defense. Villanova gets to run a set play here. 18 seconds. They bring the ball down the floor. They don't get a shot off. Clock fires – on their end of, of half of the court, they didn't turn it over or anything. They just didn't get a shot up, and Xavier wins the game by three. Uh, Skinny, I, I don't like doing this. I don't like calling for someone's job, but I'm pretty sure we just watched a man lose his job last night, Kyle Neptune on that right. Because because that was a big game that they had to have to stay in the hunt, I think. I mean, they could certainly win a bunch more games down the stretch, but they're probably not going to. That was a game they had to have, too, as much as Xavier had to have it. Um, so in addition to just that last set, the fact that they're probably playing themselves out of the NCAA tournament is not going to bode well for Count Neptune. I mean, in that situation with that much time left, go go to the rim and get something. Get, get another layup and then force Xavier to go back to the foul line again. Yeah, but I, at the I point just... that it got to, you had to get something up. I disagree with that. I think you definitely want to go for the three there, but I don't understand, like, one, you're you're running an elevator screen set play for a, a slow white guy who's honestly it's not... forever. Yeah, the, the worst guy on your team in terms of being able to get open, so I just don't think that was a great call. But then, okay, let's say it's a bad play call, whatever. After that, to some extent, it's on the players. Like, the players have to be a basketball player and put up a shot in that situation. You can't be passing the ball back out for a reversal at the top of the key when the (laughs) clock has already expired, Eric Dixon. What are you doing? I'm watching that time down, and I'm like, oh, you just going to have to launch like a 30-footer here. It is what it is. Not even to launch anything. I I mean, truly incredible. And and hats off to Abu Usman on that play because he hasn't always been the best defender for Xavier. He definitely isn't comfortable defending on the perimeter, but – he made a great read in that situation after he initially switched onto Housen, who was their shooter that they were trying right. to get open. He was able to take away his three-point look initially. And then when Housen went to cut through the lane, Usman said, well, they can't, they don't need a layup anymore. If they get a no. layup, they lose the game. So he just stayed right there on the perimeter and then was able to contest the the next three-point shot from uh, Dixon as well and take that away. So uh, a good job by Xavier in terms of how they execute in that situation, but just pitiful by, by Villanova. Yeah. And to that point, you know, a coaching point in the huddle is, hey, play above the three-point line. If, if they want to take a two, let them take a two. Don't foul them on the two, all those things. And even though you tell kids that, sometimes just the natural instinct of basketball kicks in. And to your point, for him to have that kind of recognition, good for him. Yeah. I mean, he had a guard who pump faked him and tried to step through and get the get the foul call. And, you know, he raised up to contest the shot. He was out there close enough to contest it, but he didn't leave his feet or bang into him and, and give him the easy out on the foul. So uh, good job by Abu Usman. Good job by Xavier, that final possession. And they got a big win. We'll talk more about what they need down the stretch here. But let's move on. Kentucky got beat up by Tennessee 103 to 92 over the weekend. And then they won by 32 at Vanderbilt on Tuesday, 109-77. They'll host Gonzaga in a big game on Saturday at 4 p.m. And uh, Skinny, I guess the Tennessee loss was such a disheartening one for the fan base. You give up over 100 points once again. Um, how much, when you combine the fact that they played great against Vanderbilt and they scored a million points again and their offense looked incredible, 
how much did this week, those two games, impact your feeling or your opinion of where this UK team is at? Did it change it much? It, it did on Saturday, but then the fact that he, you know, he left Jordan Burks out there on on Tuesday, he left Big Z out there for minutes on Tuesday, he left Edwards out there for big minutes, and those guys all responded. Um, and again, it was not in crunch time. It was not in one possession game time. And you can play a little freer in, in that regard. Uh, Bradshaw had a kind of a bounce back game. You know, maybe that was the confidence boost that everybody needed, including the fan base. Um, but you're going to have to also then follow that up by beating Gonzaga at home. That was, If they lose at home, that's a third straight loss at home. The Florida game, then the Tennessee game, and then uh, obviously Gonzaga. Um, I, I, they they might have pulled you back in a little bit Tuesday. You also have to say, look, Vanderbilt is just simply horrifyingly bad. Yeah, I look at Kentucky's performance against Vanderbilt the same way I look at Xavier's performance against DePaul. Like, just don't yeah, slip up. That, that, that's great, but it really means nothing. I mean, you. But, but to Xavier's credit, they follow that up with the win over Nova. Now Kentucky needs to follow this up with the win over Gonzaga. Exactly right. And then that's where, you know, you can you can make the fan base feel a whole lot better if you play well on Saturday against Gonzaga. But I will say that Tennessee loss it did change the way I feel about Kentucky a little bit because this whole time, even like the loss to Florida, I was able to sort of put that aside and say, this Kentucky team is so damn talented on the offensive end, and I value that over anything else in the NCAA tournament. If you're a team that can really score an elite level, I'll take my chances with you over the team that's going to hold you to 50 points and try to win games that way, right? So I've been the whole time still feeling like Kentucky was a national title contender up until this Tennessee game. After the Tennessee game, I still think Kentucky is very dangerous. I still think they're as talented as anyone in the country. And everything I said holds true about taking my chances with a team that's elite on the offensive end. Dillingham is incredibly fun to watch. I I can't wait to see him in the NCAA tournament. But the fact that the the defense is such a huge issue and it's a rivalry game, it's uh, like to see them perform so poorly in that matchup, it changed the way I feel about them overall. I no longer think they're a legitimate national title contender. I do think they're dangerous. And I think they're as talented as anyone, but they're not nearly good enough or consistent enough to be considered a national title threat. I'm with you, but I do think they are dangerous to your point, and, and they've shown that with with some of their performances. But we've talked about this. I mean, that's the thing. They are capable literally of beating anybody because of their offense. Yeah. Also capable of losing bad games. You know, uh, uh, the, the Wilmington game, for example, getting getting your doors blown off. I mean, the Tennessee score doesn't look as bad as it, it really played itself out, right? Yeah. I mean, it, was, it felt like way more than an 11-point margin because Tennessee controlled it throughout. Out, you know the way they didn't defend out of bounds underplays. It was it was a mess. Kentucky never had a chance in that game. No, no. And what an insane team to prepare for if you're an opposing coach right now. You're watching that film and you're probably sitting there thinking, "God, we can get whatever we want on offense. We can run anything, and we're going to get a layup or wide open three. Or, right, or you know, if a high ball open. swing, you're good. Yeah, but then you look at Kentucky's offense and you go. What are we going to do to guard these guys? Right. Like, how do we guard them? They have a freak at almost every position, and they have a couple guys on the bench that can break off and do that too. It's just got to be a wild team to prepare for and watch on film, I would think. Yeah, the other part to your point, though, is you just say to yourself, hey, they got to miss some shots because we are getting anything we want on the other end of the floor. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. All right, Northern Kentucky lost to Wright State 85-78 to over the weekend, a tough loss for the Norse in a rivalry game. They'll host Oakland on Thursday night and Detroit Mercy Saturday afternoon at 4. Uh, going back to that Wright State game, Skinny, I thought NKU played much better than it did the week before in their losses to Purdue-Fort Wayne and Youngstown State, but they, they hit a, a rough patch it, midway through the second half. They were up by 4 with about 11 minutes to go, and then Wright State went on a 17-0 run 
that that just can't happen. I mean, not with an experienced team. Not I know Sam Vincent is gone, but you still have Marquez work. You still have Trey Robinson. Um, I guess when I when I see that, my initial take is they've got to get the front court going again. Yes. I think that's the way you avoid a 17-0 run like that. Yeah, well, I would, I would tell you, though, too, they also didn't defend in that run. I mean, it felt like Wright State got anything it wanted close to the basket or open jump shot-wise. Um, it was an ugly spurt. That game was on TV, so I got a chance to watch it, um, especially that spurt. In fact, I think I turned it on right as that spurt be- began because they were up, I think, up four or six at that point or whatever it was. I'm like, all right, they're, you know, they were in control earlier, but now it's a game. And uh, you're right. But the, the other end, I'm, I'm, I continue to watch Trey Robinson jack up contested threes. And it's just, that's, that can't happen. Well, I thought the, yeah, the whole team during that stretch was really settling for contested threes. And we talked to, to Darren Horn about this on the coaches show. And he said, you know, it's a fine line, especially with our team of you want to give these guys confidence. You want to get Marquez, work a rope to you know, he's such a good score. You got to let him take some tough shots and some, some tough threes at the same time. You can't let your offense get bogged down to where they're settling for bad shots. And you they go were on a, every trip, a five minute stretch where you don't make a field goal. And that's what happened against Wright state. So um, I agree that it's a fine line, but it's one that the, the players in my opinion are going to have to fix as much as anything, because uh, to some extent it's just being like stubborn about like, they're not going to stop me from getting into the lane on this possession or, or they're not going to stop me from, I'm not going to be denied. I'm going to either get fouled or I'm going to finish in the paint on this play. You can't see your team go eight to 10 trips, just being empty every possession. Yeah. I mean, obviously Tijere is not an elite scorer and he's not a post up guy per se. I mean, could you do something with the forwards to start posting those guys a little more? Well, they've definitely been doing that. I mean, and I've, we've heard other opposing coaches talk about how aggressive NKU is trying to post up all three of those front court players, Trey Robinson, LJ Wells, and Keenan Atijere. But um, I do think they, they've got to find a way to get Atijere more scoring opportunities on offense, and he's got to grab more rebounds. He only had three rebounds in right. this game against Wright State, and he is an athletic freak. There's no one on the court like him at 6'9 with his length and athleticism. So I think that's a big part of it. Skinny, I've got a few questions for you, college basketball related. You want to jump into these? Let's roll them out, baby. All right. Uh, a few of these were sent in to us, and then uh, another one I, I grabbed for watching or listening to Kentucky Sports Radio this week. We'll start with UC and Xavier. This was a question that came in from a fan. He said, do you think Xavier and Cincinnati have a better chance of making it as an at-large or winning their conference tournaments this year? With the way that both of those teams are playing, I could see either one of them winning their conference tournament. I don't think either one are consistent enough to win their conference tournament because you got to do that over multiple days. I, I, I think the better shot, honestly, is we talked about this for Xavier to, to win what it would it be six more games at this point um, and, and not, not suffer a bad loss. And for UC to, what do you think, probably win four or five more games at this point? So I was going to ask you about this. Cincinnati has three quad three games left, and then everything else is a quad, quad one. one. So that's six quad ones. Yeah. If they win all three of the quad three games, and then they which get, would be avoiding a bad loss, right? Avoid any bad any chance of a bad loss, and then out of the quad ones that are left, if they win, let's say at UCF, who would be the lowest rank, they're at sixty five in the net. That would be the lowest rank, best chance for them probably to get a quad one win. And that's the quad one, two. Did that slip the quad two by the time they play? Let's let's assume it stays under okay, 75 yeah, and UCF stays a, a quad yeah. one win. And then the other one, let's say they get a, a, a win either at TCU or uh, maybe it's it's home against Oklahoma. Or I guess that game is at Oklahoma as well at TCU or at Oklahoma. So three quad one wins, two more, three quad, th- 
three wins, two more quad one wins. Is that enough to get them in, in your opinion? I think it does. I think it is because I think, and again, bracketology and all the bracket matrix don't mean anything because they're not selected. All. We, we both like bracket matrix a lot. I mean, they're really on the cusp of being in at the moment. And you're going to add to your point, three more, just avoiding bad loss wins. And then two more quad wins on top of that. That probably is enough. Now, again, I don't know if they can get that, but that probably is enough. So that puts them at 20 wins. And if that's the case, yeah. I think that's the minimum for them. I think 20 yeah. is the number that they need. And, and why? Okay, why is it 18 for Xavier and 20 for Cincinnati? It just goes back to the non-conference schedule. Correct, correct. UC did nothing in the non-conference schedule. They played a bunch of quad four teams. They lost their only meaningful games against Xavier and Dayton. Um, I guess you can throw in the Georgia Tech game if you want, but Georgia Tech's 132 in the net. So it's not really as yeah, impressive funny. as people wanted to make it out. It is funny because I, I thought Georgia Tech looked like trash that night, and the record isn't very good. I think they're just barely under 500, but they've got a couple of just huge wins. Yeah, just I think people, huge wins. people saw them win a few big games. And they started to think, well, that Georgia Tech win's actually pretty good. And it's like, well, Georgia Tech's very, very inconsistent. And from a metric standpoint, it's not going to do much for you. That's a quad three win that you had. So it's really not meaning anything. So that's why UC has to get to 20. But I would also say, like, I think 20 is enough. I think if you get you win the quad three games and you find a way to go two and four in the six quad one games that you have left, I think that's enough to get in. That's but I, but I would agree with you that it's definitely a better opportunity for them to get in that large bid than it is for them to make a run through the Big 12 conference tournament. Like this and is think, the AAC. And I think the same for Xavier. I mean, it's a jump shot team. Are you going to have a jump shot for three or four days in a row? Well, and even worse, they've got UConn. In their conference. Fair point. <laughs> I mean, the most dominant team in college basketball, college basketball by far is UConn this year. Yeah. And I just don't see a way that Xavier beats them considering they lost what by uh 33 points or whatever it was it, the last time they played. I love the structure of that question. That's a great question. Yeah. And I mean, I, it, I thought it was interesting and I get his point about them, you know, like maybe they won't have the resume for the at-large bid, but they are playing well enough at the end of the year to make a run. But I would still argue both of these teams are right there on that cut line. They're in the bubble conversation now. They have more wiggle room to play out these final yes. 10, eight games on their schedule, whatever it is, as opposed to trying to make a run in the conference tournament. And, and, and I'll tell you, that's where it goes back to, to your point. If they lose to Texas Tech, not a bad loss, but then you're probably having to get – you're probably having to split those quad one games, and that's a big ask. Yeah. All right, the question we got from the NKU side of things was directed at you, Skinny. They wanted to know, have you lost confidence in NKU's chances of winning the Horizon League tournament? No, because I've seen them do it before. When you question them at this time of year, the record was always better, and they were trending in a bit of a better direction. Um, right now, they're trending in a really bad direction. I'm going to give faith in Darren Horn that he figures out a way to get this turned around because he's done it. And this is a year to me where – there isn't that one or two, like a couple of years, right state was just really, really, it was going to be hard to get through a right state, right? And some years it was going to be hard for teams to get through an NKU. Um, I don't think that's the case in the league this year. I just don't. I'm, I'm not so sure I don't make a case that Youngstown's the best team in the league right now, and I think they're beatable. Yeah, I think Youngstown State is the best team in the league, or at least the team that would worry NKU the most, probably, um, in, in the Horizon League tournament. So, the big thing that stands out to me is exactly the point you just made. They've seen every team now and there isn't one of them that is heads and shoulders above anyone else in this conference because of their talent level. There isn't another team that has like a really difficult matchup problem that they present for NKU. So I get the side of things that maybe you'd be losing a little faith because this team hasn't 
shown consistency yet, and they haven't really got it going the way they have late in the, the season and, and a few of these previous years. But from a standpoint of who they're going to face in the conference tournament, I would have a lot of confidence that there just really isn't a dominant team this year. Yeah, and, and again, they've, they've got guys who have done this before. Marcos Work knows what it's like to do this. Trey Robinson knows what it's like to, to, to do this. Darren Horn knows what it's like to coach to do this. So I think that, that, that helps too. And that matters, man. I mean, we we've heard that from from teams last year. Some teams that were there for the first time, and like even the coaching staff, their SID people were talking about how how weird it was for them. Like, yeah, we got to Indianapolis in the Final Four, and it was just it felt too big. Like everyone was talking about it, and the, the hotel was you could feel the nervous energy in the ballroom when we were getting prepared. And it's like for NKU, that's old hat. They've been there every single year since this staff has taken over, and really pretty much every year be, before that as well since they had joined the Horizon League Conference. So, all right, uh, the final question here comes from Kentucky Sports Radio this week. I was listening to them following the Tennessee loss. This was before the Vanderbilt game, and the situation after the Tennessee loss was Coach Cal does not come out and do his post-game radio interview. He sent out Orlando Antigua, also sent out Justin Edwards to do the player interview. Cal did not come out and do his interview. Then the following day on Monday, I believe, I, it might not might have been two days later, but on Monday, he did not do a standard press conference. He sent out uh, another assistant to do that. And uh, then they didn't have a coach's show that night either because they were traveling, so it was moved. So uh, that is sort of setting the stage for all of this conversation point. And this is Matt Jones from Kentucky Sports Radio talking about the, the whole relationship between Cal and Kentucky fans of the Kentucky program. You used to, that used to be the thing you were the best at. You got this program. They, the people need to hear from you. There are still a lot of people. There are people listening now who support Cal through and through. And those are the people you got to say to them, whatever. And he just has just, he's just deserted that. He has just completely gone away from everything that made him him he has he was the best person that i've seen at this school at getting what big blue nation is and he has gotten away from all of it he just has and i you know those folks that some of the younger folks have didn't really live through those early years where he was doing all that stuff but he's there, he he was great at it and i i don't know what has happened with him all right, Skinny, your take on that. Do you agree with what Matt Jones is saying there? You think it's completely off base? What, what did you no. make of those comments? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think when you realize your BS doesn't fly any longer, that, that's when you stop trying to sell it. And I, I, I've, listen, I've been on that train for a long time, as you know. I think he's a, he's a carnival barker, um, certainly knows how to recruit. That's worked out well for him. Um, but eventually your BS wears thin and you know it. Now, I will say this. What's one of the big talking points for coaches when they talk to their players? What's one of the big, what's one of the big, I'm putting you on the spot here, I realize, I'll give you it in a second. What's one big word that coaches like to use about players? Uh, accountability. Thank you. You guessed it. Nice. Yeah, you guessed it. Dead on, accountability. And yet after that, you can't be accountable. You can't go out and face the fan base or whatever's left to, to sit there and listen to you. I mean, some people probably made it a point to want to sit there, whether they were going to boo him or not, or maybe just sit there and want to listen to hear what he had to say. People stayed to hear him. They didn't stay say to hear Orlando Antigua, for goodness sakes. Um, and then again, the other part to it is that's also part of your salary, believe it or not. That's part of what you're getting paid to do. So go do it. Don't slough it off on somebody else. If that's the case, then just quit. Just walk away and be done with it, bro. Well, and that and that's the thing. It, 
it feels like this has gotten to a point where it's no longer fun for Cal. He is completely disenchanted with the whole thing, the Kentucky fan base, all of it. And I get that. I think there is a shelf life for jobs like this. But to your point, you're the one who took the lifetime contract. You're the one who's making $10 million a year, my man. You still have to perform the job at the highest level if you're going to take that type of money from them. Or at least attempt to. Yeah, or or at least or play the game with that. Otherwise, the things are going to get really uncomfortable. It's going to get really unfun, and this thing is going to become a disaster. And and quite honestly, Skinny, I don't think the rest of this regular season matters a whole lot. Not an ounce, what? other than unless you just have a complete tank job and win two more games and, and barely creep into the tournament. All this, it, it is literally he has to have whatever the level of success you think it would be. He better have some level of success in March. I mean, bottom line, you better be a Sweet Sixteen team this year. But like, and, no, no and, doubt. And, and I'll be honest with you. You better treat the SEC tournament like it matters because he doesn't treat that like it matters very much either. This is true. I, I you know, I, I really felt like to Matt Jones's point that Cal was the best I'd ever seen at winning the press conference and Whoa. saying all the things that like you knew they were a spin job. You knew they were like kind of. I don't know. He did it without being cheesy or corny all the time. He did it in a way that still made the UK program feel like it was elite and it was the cool thing. And like the whole, this isn't for everybody. I can't hide you. All all that stuff. He did it while still making it feel like it was the cool thing to do. And now he very much sort of has this old coach that is detached and doesn't understand the, the younger players feel to him all of a sudden. And he's completely lost the touch with the fan base, which again, was what he was so great at. I, like, I completely agree with the Matt Jones. I never agree with Matt Jones for the most part. I don't really like the guy a whole lot, but I think he is dead on about this, that Cal was one of the best I had ever seen at understanding how to handle this fan base, how to go to the coffee shop with the old men and sit around and have the donut and the coffee with them and talk UK hoops and make everyone feel special. And now all of that is just completely gone for whatever reason. And he's going out of his way to pick fights with the fan base, to yep. say things that are like, you know, looking down at them and, and stuff. And I, I just don't understand why he's doing that. No, it feels like just he's cashing a paycheck and it's a very hefty paycheck. And yeah, everything else I got to do, well, I'll do what the, I'll do what I have to do, but I'm not going to do more. And nobody's going to make me do more because uh, I got a lifetime deal. And so to hell with you people, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. You know, his thing about I can't hide you. Well, you're hiding yourself at the moment, bro. I mean, honestly, man up and, and do your job and do it better or yeah. get out. Pretty simple to or get out. Uh, and no that's kind of the way. No I one's feel- saying, coach, you've got a coach. You know, they're, they're, you're doing it right now because it feels like because of the paycheck. Well, and he's basically got Kentucky bend over the barrel in terms of his contract situation. No, and they can't buy him out after right. this year. So I do wonder, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but let's say they flop in the first or second round this year, Skinny. What? What then happens in this offseason? It's a great it's a great question. I mean, it, it feels like no amount of heat from the fan base, like walking out of the Tennessee game, um, message boards, uh, talk radio shows, none of that seems to – I guess it does phase him. But to him, it, it if it phases him, he just goes and runs and hides from it. And um, that, that's – again, does, is that what he does? Is I'll just go run and hide from it again and try to wheel out that recruiting class? Go, hey, got a bunch of new guys again and look at our fresh start. And it never – has not worked and it shouldn't say never it has not worked out of late i think what really concerns you as a kentucky fan is this feels very much like a guy who is either starting to or may at some point down the line just decide i'm i'm just going to steal money like i'm just going to cash right. this. i'm not giving up the 10 million dollar payday every year right. and whatever else the the lifetime contract i, I know he, he gets vested after another year or so in it I so think 2020 i think it's after 2026 he gets vested to where it's a million year for life 
a million year for life. Exactly. So I, I get that he doesn't want to give up those things, but at the same time, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're like, hold on, man. That was that was contingent upon you being an elite college basketball coach. You can't all of a sudden just become the old man who's yeah. quit on all this stuff on us and keep collecting that paycheck. To be honest with you, some of the heat also needs to be on the athletic director, Mitch Barnhart, for that ridiculous contract. Without a doubt. And I think that's probably already there, but you know, in terms of the, the pressure, I, I feel like he's probably already feeling the heat from signing that deal. Any anything else there on the uh, Kentucky thing, Skinny? No, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I I find that to be quite weak. I, I just it's it again. If you're going to ask your players to be held accountable and hold them accountable, then hold yourself accountable. We also had this asked, and this is more of a general college athletics, college basketball topic, and this was brought up by another fan who wanted to get your thoughts on the Rick Pitino tweet. Rick Pitino tweeted this week for basketball. Have the Power Five and Big East Conference commissioners get together and create a salary cap between one and a half and two million dollars. All contracts delivered to the league and school offices. All other conferences establish their own salary cap. I would never exclude anyone from the NCAA tournament. Obviously, football is a different sport entirely, and some of their talent makes more than NFL players. More solutions to follow in the coming days. What do you think of Rick Pitino's idea to implement a one and a half to two million dollar? salary cap for the the power five power six conferences it's never going to fly i mean I, I in a perfect world you know you'd like to have some boundaries but i mean the, it, the cat's out of the bag man <laughs> it ain't going back in and there's no way you're going to be able to, to to find a way to legislate that in my opinion uh, somebody takes that to court and it probably gets tossed on its ear and you're back to the wild wild west the, the, the problem with it is 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 these conferences didn't embrace what now could be didn't set limits and boundaries now there's no limits and boundaries and now they're going what the hell do we do to work to, to get out of this? You don't. You, you, it's it's the cat's out of the bag, dude. Well, I do wonder. I mean, other professional leagues do have a situation where they have like Understood? the issue for college is they have not recognized these players as employees, Correct. so they don't have a collective bargaining agreement. So you can't implement a salary cap. If they do decide, hey, these guys are employees, we are going to pay them, and that might be coming. <laughs> why? I mean, why could they implement a salary cap through a collecting bargaining agreement, just like other sports do at that point? Again, if that comes and that truly might be coming, yes, if that's the case, yes. But at the moment, the answer to that is no. It's it's not, it's not feasible at the moment. Skinny, I I find it funny that all these people are coming up with these solutions because it's it's not sustainable. We can't keep spending this money. Look at these guys who aren't even producing, who are getting five hundred thousand dollar checks. Yada yada yada. You know what a simple solution for all of that would be? Quit giving $400,000 checks to transfers who can't play. That would make it sustainable. Yep, correct. You don't have to keep spending stupid money just because you're allowed to. Yep, you're right. Like professional teams, if they spend, if they make bad deals and they sign players that aren't productive to bad contracts, they lose and they lose their jobs and it's a huge problem. You're going to have the same issue in college athletics. The donors who are giving that money to spend in NIL aren't going to keep you around. They're not going to pay for your contract if you're making bad decisions in the transfer portal. It'll be sustainable, I promise. Yeah, I still don't know about the sustainability of it, but to your point, I, I agree with that. Well, it'll be sustainable because these people who are smart people with their money, who have made a lot of money in their lives, and that's why they're big donors for you, aren't going to continue to let you make oh, terrible sure. financial decisions, yeah, sure. terrible business decisions. Like yeah, At some sure. point, they're going to get tired of it and saying, no, you don't get any more of my money. I would tell you, man, being a college coach today, other than the paycheck, I, I, it just seems like it would, it, whatever the sport was, especially the football and basketball guys, what a freaking grind. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like at this point, why would you want to be doing the college level as opposed to the pros? In the past, I felt like there were legitimate reasons to still sure. prefer the college level. But at this point, I mean, there is really no upside to coaching at the college level as opposed to professional, I would say. Yeah, other than, I mean, depending on what the paycheck is. Well, yeah, that's true. I guess you can make more money at the college level. That is yeah. that is one of the the upsides of it there. Uh, all right. I think that does it for our college basketball segment. You, you have stuff. anything else you want to get in there, Skinny? No, good good okay. stuff. All right, well, let's move on to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 58 is this Sunday. We've got 49ers versus the Chiefs in Las Vegas. Kickoff is at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday. Skinny, I know you cover NFL, obviously, as a beat writer for the Bengals. You're, you're a big NFL guy. Are you a big Super Bowl guy? Do you care a lot about the Super Bowl? I, I, I'm not until the day of the game. I, you know, certainly, I, I enjoy the game part of it. All the run-up to it is just such nonsensical nonsense. It really and truly is. Um, I, I literally have paid hardly any attention to any of it. Um, it just, again, I, the, the, the you're covering that Super Bowl, and we did most of it um, by Zoom, which was weird. You'd hop in different Zoom rooms, and it was honestly so unwieldy that, that I didn't give up on it because I had a job. Because of COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was one day where I just went, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. This guy's supposed to be in this room, and this guy's in this room. Somehow I'm in this room with a guy I don't even care about talking to. What, what room? It was just unwieldy as all get out. Yeah, that does not sound like fun. I, I, I think we're very similar in this. Like, I do not care about the lead-up, all the storylines and stuff. I, I keep seeing people complain about this matchup and why it's so bad. I don't even really understand why they feel that way, but I will enjoy the game on Sunday. I'm looking forward to watching it. Well, I, I do think, like anything else in life, you get fatigued of, of a team that seems like it's always there, which Kansas City is. We got Patriots fatigue. It was a cute story the first time they won it, maybe the second. But then for a while, it's like, I think you – and again – Maybe you thought of them this way. I never did. You know, you can look at teams like that as the villain. I know Bengals fans probably look at the Chiefs as the villain. I, I don't. I kind of admire what they do, but I do have a little fatigue from it. Yeah, I, I guess I have a little fatigue there, and I, I get that point of why people don't like this matchup, but didn't seem like, I mean, the 49ers were a legitimate team all year that yeah. had a chance to do this. It feels nice that it feels like there's a two really good teams going at it head-to-head here, and, and the Chiefs are on the, the verge of becoming – basically a dynasty now yep. in professional football. And I think that the quarterback matchup is really the storyline that I like. You've got Mahomes basically chasing Tom Brady for to, to become the greatest ever. Not saying that this Super Bowl would get it done, but it definitely enters him into that conversation where you really start taking him seriously as maybe the greatest quarterback of all time. And, and we see what he does the rest of his career from there. Or Brock Purdy's star launches into orbit. I mean, he really becomes a bona fide superstar in this sport. Either way, I think that's going to be Kind of fun to watch to see which one comes out on top in that battle. Um, Skinny, are there other any other like storylines or things that really interest you about this game? I mean, could this be Andy Reid's last game? I mean, that, that's the one for me. And and um, you know, if so, um, has he kind of held on trying to set up Steve Spagnola to get the head coaching job, who's the defensive coordinator, to give him another bite at the apple as a head coach, uh, as opposed to maybe doing this a month ago, saying, "Hey, when the season's over, I'm done." And maybe not. Maybe he's still going to continue to have the fire to coach. Um, but you know, again, the, the, the other part of the grind is the, the last two Bengal seasons for, for those of us that cover and the team and the players, all those, it was a grind because you went extra weeks, right? I mean, can you imagine the chiefs for how many now years in a row that they've gone extra weeks, they've almost played an extra full season of just playoff games. Yeah. If you're a broadcaster, that's great because you get the extra game checks. If you're a beat writer, that's just, you're working extra hard every single year. Exactly. Yeah, that, that stinks. All right, let's get into our picks for this game. I mentioned the game's Sunday at 6.30 p.m. The 49ers are a two-point favorite as of this morning. The total is 47 and a half. 
Uh, we'll get to, into some of our favorite prop bets, but Skinny, what do you like in terms of the actual pick for this game? Yeah, I, mean, I like the 49ers. I, I I think they're the more complete team. I know they've kind of skated by their two playoff wins, and, and I've said this before. I've picked against Kansas City all along in the playoffs, and it, I, I have done that with the caveat of the king's not dead until you kill the king, and they continue to sit on top of the throne laughing probably those that back the Chiefs all the way to the bank. But I like them, and I like the under. Usually I like the over in most Super Bowls just because – the intensity level and, you know, and not all of them go over hell. We had the, the Rams game the one year that, that was under from like the get go to they could have played five other quarters and it wouldn't have never gotten to the over. But I just feel like these are two good defenses. Um, and I, it feels like this is going to be like a 24 20 ish game to me, Frisco. So it's going to be close, but I'll, I'll take Frisco in the under. All right. So you've got San Francisco to cover 24 to 20, which means it's the under. 49ers and the under is your play, which is perfect because I mentioned on the last show, we are three games apart if you're just doing it by win-loss record yep. in our pick em. And uh, I've got the exact opposite side of you in this game. I like the Chiefs 27 to 21. Chiefs in the over for me by a half a point. Um, I, I don't feel real strongly about this pick either way because, like you said, I think the 49ers are the more talented team. They definitely have the better weapons on offense, but there's just something about this Kansas City team having been there and Patrick Mahomes is just so freaking good that I I uh, I'm gonna stay on that side of things. I don't I don't want to feel foolish by picking against him once again. Now the question is, Skinny, what have you come up with for prop bets? Now this is tough because like if you're getting into big props with long odds, that doesn't really make sense for our pick them necessarily. So I tried to keep them things that were kind of close to even money ish. All right, what what have you got? I have got largest lead of the game. Both teams to score two plus touchdowns. Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown. I got that loss. And Christian McCaffrey longest rush. Uh, I've got I've got your Kelsey anytime touchdown. I, I, that that one's on on my uh, on my radar. I, I I didn't see the yardage for this because he just has got. I think he's going to get active for the game, but it's probably not going to be a high number. I'm going to guess it's probably around 19 and a half, which would be Jarek McKinnon receiving yards over. I don't know if it's on the board yet or not. I didn't see it. Um, but it's it, if it's on the board, I'm taking that. And then Brock Purdy over rushing yards, I believe, is also over 19 and a half. Yeah, I, I believe I saw the Brock Purdy one as well. So uh, Brock Purdy, so you've got McKinnon receiving yards, Brock Purdy rushing yards over on both of those. What else do you have? Um, and I'm going to go Christian McCaffrey MVP. Uh, it's usually the quarterbacks. Um, and honestly, and I haven't looked at his his TD prop either. I would throw a TD prop for him if it's if it's one and a half with a good number with a good plus. I take the over. It's minus like two fifty. It's not even for, for two for one and a half touchdowns. Oh no, just for one touch. I thought you said anytime touchdown. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I was looking at, at a number, whatever the number at one and a half would be. So I, I'm I'm shooting for him to get get two touchdowns in this game. If I'm going to pick him to be MVP. He's going to have to score some touchdowns. This is true. Yeah, that's 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 a good call. Um. Touchdown scores. Christian McCaffrey is minus 205 to score anytime touchdown. For two plus touchdowns, he is plus 245. All right, there we go. I'm going with that. Okay. Uh so those are that's four picks right there. Do you have a fifth? Um I'll do I'll do the coin toss. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Tails never fails. All right. Well, I was on Tails as well, so we're not gonna get yeah, any uh right. any decisions there. Well, I'll go opposite of you. Just just for I'll, I'll take head. All right, coin toss head. I, there we go. 
I had a friend of mine. So do you remember a couple of years ago? Um, I think I told this story when, when we were starting high school basketball games with a coin toss instead of the uh, during the COVID time, instead of the jump ball, dumbest thing ever. I mean, <laughs> that, you're going to get together anyway, but we do with the coin toss. So one of our assistant coaches did some research on this because suppose, you know, a coin toss and every toss is different, right? It's supposed to be 50, 50 odds. He swears heads has a slight advantage because of the weight on the, on that side of the coin. Well, th- so here's the thing in the NFL, they have a commemorative coin. Correct. As it's weighted differently. And there has been arguments. There are some sharps who believe that it is favored towards tails. Now, it's too small of a sample size. You only have Correct. 57 flips in the history of the, the Super Bowl to really have an idea. But tails does have an advantage here. Yeah, so, so uh, again, it, it is interesting that people will crunch it down to that. But I'll, I'll go heads just for the sake of argument. All right, so that was McKinnon over receiving yards, Brock Purdy over rushing yards, Christian McCaffrey MVP, Christian McCaffrey two-plus TDs, and coin toss heads at minus 105. Those were your five picks. I've not seen this as a legit prop. I get get these emails all the time from from different things because, again, one person could affect this. It's the whole Travis Kelsey proposed to Taylor Swift – after the game on the field, it's like the odds of the plus side are huge. Yeah. So, I mean, if he wanted to go find a way to bet that he can affect that. Yeah. I just don't know for a guy who makes millions and millions take uh, playing football. Would they actually take a bet large enough at any sports book for you that it would be worth doing? And you wouldn't be caught. Usually these props are, if like one person can affect the prop, you're not going to do it. True. Yeah, because they for that reason. But um, in that situation, I just can't imagine for those two people, Taylor Swift and and uh, Jason or uh, Travis Kelsey. You just I can't imagine it's worth it for them to to make that happen. There, I'm kind of with you. All right. So just to recap for uh, me, I had largest lead of the game over 13 and a half. That's minus 125. I, I feel like there will definitely be a two touchdown lead at some point right. in this game. It's interesting. Both teams to score two plus touchdowns. I have yes at minus 130. See, that's a really good one too. Because I, I, as much as I think this is an underplay, I still think they score. They both scored two touchdowns, and it's, especially when that feels like that should be like minus two twenty or something. Right? It's only minus one thirty. I know. I that's felt like that was good. a good value play. Yeah. Uh, Travis Kelsey anytime touchdown is plus one hundred. I mean, come on. on that one. That one. I, yeah. If we're doing this whole storyline, we've had to deal with this all playoffs. Everyone's been talking about like. We're going been, to play that, been, right? Like, that's a, if, if there is any chance of there being a script for all of this stuff, that correct. is definitely in the script. Well, the other thing, too, and, and just from real football terms, he's certainly petered out in the regular season. But, boy, once the playoffs have started, he's, had, he's, been, he's been a huge part of what they've done. And maybe that was by design for all I know. Yeah, that, that's the other part of this that makes it kind of nice is, like, it passes the eye test, too. He's been playing yeah. pretty well here in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, coin toss tails at minus one Oh five. And then Christian McCaffrey longest rush over 18 yards. Yes. Was minus minus one twenty on that. Yeah. That sounds low too, man. Oh yeah. man. Longest rush over 18. yards. It feels like every game he breaks off something of 20. Something, plus, yes. Yes. Even if it's a meaningless play. So, all right. The, the other one that I saw, I didn't include this one, but I thought it was a great one. Who will the Super Bowl MVP mention first in his speech? Minus one forty five was teammates. Plus 135 was God, which I think that God has great value here. But the only issue is Mahomes won it last year and he's a big teammates guy. He immediately thanked teammates. That's why it's minus 145 this year, because there's good odds that Mahomes could win it again. Right, right, right. Well, if the Bengals were playing and I thought Trey Hendrickson was going to win the award, I would certainly bet on the yes side of things. 
Oh, oh, of God, oh, for what? God or teammates? For God, for, no, for God. Yeah, so plus 135. Isn't that good? Yeah. I feel like a lot of guys mentioned God immediately when they I first I guess here's my that. question. So on the flip side of it, because if Kansas City wins, it probably is Mahomes, and it usually is the quarterback. There is the, the, the two logical candidates on the San Francisco side are Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, And I, I don't know if those guys are big God guys. I, I, I don't listen to them enough to know if that's like something that's regular for them or not. Yeah, I think Purdy is a teammates guy. I get okay. the sense. Yeah. I think he would be a teammates guy. And Mahomes is a big God guy, but he's he's also big teammates guy. He mentions the teammates first in the speech. He did it last year at least. So, Yep, teammates it's before God. It's a, good, it's a fun bet, though. I like that. It is a good bet. I like yeah. it, too. Uh, all right, let's get into Ask Any Anything. We have a few more Super Bowl questions here. By the uh, way, our friend Mo Egger did send us a question. I've not gotten a chance to stack that and, and rate that yet. So, Mo, thank you. Um, I will do that for next week's podcast. I, I have to put some uh, the, the the list in order. It was a great question, by the way. Yeah, if you're not familiar with how Mo asks questions, he gives us a list of like 10 people, and then he says rank their careers. And they're yeah. like from all different walks of life. There's no reason to have them in the same Actually, category. You know I'm going to do it at the end. We, we, we may have a little bit of time. I'm going to do it at the end of this podcast, Rick. I'm, I'm okay. going to just do it off the top of my head. So go ahead. Go ahead and let's let's get the other questions first. Okay. The one Super Bowl must have snack and the one that's always there and makes you say why, Skinny? Uh, the must have is certainly wings. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know if they're a snack item. They're the, 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 the food item du jour. Um, and, and the one, and I know you got to have it out, and I usually graze at it a little bit. It's the, it's the vegetables and dip. I mean, that's the one that nobody ever seems to touch, isn't it? Yeah, the, you're talking about like the big plastic tray from Kroger's with the broccoli correct. and cauliflower. Correct. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'll grab me a couple celeries. I'll grab me some carrots every once in a while. If there's a rat. I like radishes if they're ever on there. Um, I just went to a party last week. Uh, my my goddaughter's uh, uh, had a first birthday party for her daughter, and uh, she brought that out. And they had little. I thought they were baby dill pickles, which I like. But they were baby cucumbers, and those were actually really good. I like cucumbers, and it was good to eat just a little baby cucumber. But nobody else touched them. I, I got to admit, this is the ultimate fat guy move. I like to use the the vegetable tray as like a palate cleanser when I'm going from like one salty, savory snack to the other. You know, if I'm going like from a chip dip to wings or whatever, I might grab a piece of a vegetable in, in between just to. Hello? I think Rick just had a power outage. Call Rick Brewing. This is live on the podcast, I believe, because we're still recording. That's what I just said on the pod. I'm, I'm on the podcast talking to you on the phone. I said, I believe Rick just had a power outage. Okay, I haven't gotten out of it. I, yep, you got it. So Rick apparently has his power coming back on. He will join the podcast again here shortly. He was just about to shovel something into his mouth food-wise, too. Tried this twice now, Skinny. We uh, keep getting knocked offline here. The powers that be did not want me to have power in my Apparently not. We'll go ahead and try to wrap this podcast up quickly here in this Ask Any Anything segment. Your favorite football and non-football related Super Bowl memory. Yeah, so when I was in college, my senior year, the 1984 Super Bowl season. I think back, it must have been my junior year. It was, it was, the, 80, it was the 85 Super Bowl, 84 season. Um, uh, I had friends come up from Richmond, had another couple come over to our house, and a huge snowstorm hit. Temperatures plummeted. Um, all the pipes in the apartment froze. People were stuck at my apartment for like two days. We were literally having to go get snow melted on the, on the, uh, on the stovetop just to flush toilets. None of our cars would start except for my one team, my one roommate, Joe Kiernan, uh, who was a, uh, a walk-on football player at UK, went to Newport Central Catholic. Um, he had a 1966, like Chevrolet Impala and nobody went anywhere for a couple days. You couldn't go anywhere, but he 
after a couple of days trying to get out, his was the only one that started. Everybody else's car, I had like a 70, it was like 80, I think I had an 80 or 81 Chevette. It was only like three years old. It, it didn't, nobody's car started, but his car started. Uh, but to be holed up for two or three days was just with no, you know, shower wasn't working, pipes were, it was just, it was awful. Um, and I guess favorite Super Bowl memory were, were the ones that the Bengals were in to, 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 to watch, probably the first one especially, just because it, it just, it seems so special that they finally got there. Um, or actually, you know, I say finally got there, got there as quickly as they did. And uh, the game was disappointing, but it, it, was, it was just an exciting run that year for sure. Yeah, undoubtedly that one for, for me, the, the one just a few years ago was the first Super Bowl that I really remember. I mean, it happened when I was two years old the, f- the first time, but um, that one was by far the best football-related Super Bowl memory. I will tell you that first one, I was a freshman in college, and, and as it so happened, um, a couple of my high school uh, classmates lived like three doors down from where I lived in the freshman dorm. It kind of worked out pretty cool. They had a really cool corner room. And they started a big beer can collection in like a fishnet up up at the top, up off the ceiling. So just kept throwing empty beer cans in there. So when the Bengals finally scored a touchdown, I jumped up, hit the beer can collection by accident, and they all came tumbling down. Was there like droplets in those no, cans that were now nah, like coming? Okay. No, that part wasn't so bad. But but the fact of trying to toss all those beer cans back up there became, became kind of a game in, in itself as the game was progressing. Yeah, I imagine so. All right, Skinny. Well, we had a bunch more questions. Thank you to everyone that sent them in. But because of the technical difficulties we have, we're going to try to just wrap this one up here. We'll get to most of those next week because a lot of them weren't. We'll get to to Mo's as well. Yeah, we'll get to Mo's next week as well. Thank you, Mo. All right. right, Hopefully your power stays on, Rick. Good luck to you. We'll get to this very quickly. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Bobri edition presented by Blake, the attorney manager.